This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. The mission of the Florida Department of Children and Families is to protect the vulnerable, promote strong and economically self-sufficient families, and advance personal and family recovery and resiliency. Its vision is that every child in Florida lives in a safe, stable, permanent home, nurtured by healthy families and strong communities. Making this vision a reality today involves a host of factors and the support of significant resources. One such resource is the use of a robust information technology infrastructure. IT and technology enable this critical state social services department to meet its mission. What are the IT priorities for the Florida Department of Children and Families? How is the Florida DCF changing the way it does IT? And what does the future hold for IT at the Florida Department of Children and Families? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Joe Vistola, Chief Information Officer at the Florida Department of Children and Families. Joe, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Well, I appreciate being here. It's a good opportunity to share what we're doing in Florida. Could you give us a brief overview of the mission of the Florida Department of Children and Families? Absolutely. So uh, DCF's mission is easily stated and, and really you know, tremendous in practice, but it's to work with our local partners and communities to protect protect the most vulnerable citizens of Florida and uh, promote strong and sufficient self-sufficient families and help advance personal and family recovery and resiliency. So uh, we work with folks across the state and, and strive to meet those goals every day. Joe, I'd like to get a sense of the scale of operations you support. Could you describe for us DCF's organization, the size of its budget, and the number of full-time employees? Well, DCF is a big state agency, so our budget is just over $3 billion a year. Uh, The organization has staff, and we operate in 67 counties, so in every county throughout the state of Florida. Uh, We're organized into six what I'll call managed regions, so operational regions that handle all of our services throughout the state. So we carve the state up into six of those, each with the managing director, if if you're regional managing director. Uh, And the, the department really has three large or key programmatic business areas, public assistance, and that's... Um, what we used to know as food stamps, but our SNAP program, uh, Medicaid eligibility, cash assistance, our child welfare 
program, which uh, is really the whole uh, foster care child welfare system, and then our substance abuse and mental health program, which handles uh, state uh, hospitals and facilities and all of the activities associated with uh, mental and mental and behavioral health services. Uh, we have just under 12,000 full-time employees who work throughout the state. Uh, but that uh, really doesn't speak to the whole scope and size of the organization because two two of our program areas, child welfare and substance abuse and mental health, are supported by a number of uh, contracted providers and partners. And so there are literally thousands of additional caseworkers and staff and health care providers that uh, support the overall mission of the department. So it's a it's a large and far-reaching organization like, like you would expect in the commercial world. Um, it has all of the opportunities and challenges of what a $3 billion organization would have. Joe, now that you provided us with a sense of the larger organization, per- perhaps you could tell us more about your specific role as the chief information officer at DCF. Um, how is the Office of Information Technology organized, and how do you support the overall uh, mission of the department? Well, we uh, we have a uh, centralized IT organization, so uh, my responsibility covers all of the technology uh, elements and, and areas. So that includes all ma- management and support of all of our business applications uh, and the solution providers in some cases that we have here, all their contracts to support those applications. All of the infrastructure, and that would be network data and voice communications across our statewide facilities. Uh, we have uh, two primary call centers, uh, one for our public assistance program. That's it's a rather large one for us. Staff of about about 850 people who handle calls associated with our public assistance program. Uh, Then we have our 24 by 7 365 abuse hotline. That's a part of our child welfare program. And so we support the infrastructure and applications that they utilize as they handle calls throughout the year. Uh, We've got a statewide group of folks who operate in each of our regions that handle all of the local desktop network support activities. And we've got a statewide help desk that handles all of the uh, 12,000 and partner staff calls that may come in for technology. So we're we're really organized along applications, infrastructure. Uh, We have a set of services in IT for administrative activities like procurement and budget, HR, all the things that that you would expect to run a large organization. Staff-wise, I have about I actually have 238 full-time staff, and then we've got anywhere between 70, depending on the projects that we that we have underway, 70 and 120 or so uh, consulting resources on staff. So we're, we're really overseeing all of the technology components of the application. We work directly with our partners at the Agency uh, for State Technology, which uh, and the um, group of folks at the Department of Managed Services, which handle our statewide network. So we've got a data center group. We've got a network group. Our responsibility uh, includes overseeing and working with them to make sure all of the technology and all the systems are running and available. Uh, it is a um, an important and uh, what I'll call heavyweight operational environment. So we, like any business, have systems that people use every day. And in some cases, for example, with our child welfare environment, uh, the systems, uh, they can mean life or death. So assignments for abuse visits and everything happens. So it's a, it's a full full service IT organization. 
Joe, that's a tremendous portfolio and a set of responsibilities. So regarding your duties and responsibilities, what are your top, say, three challenges you face in your position? And how have you sought to address those challenges? Well, I, I think, um, you know, from where I'm sitting, I, I, I'm both the, uh, I guess I'm the beneficiary of a number of years of investments in technology that the state has made. And uh, we have some excellent funding partners at the state and federal levels. And so the in, in Florida uh, state government over the last, say, 15 or 20 years, there's been a lot of work done to implement, to automate and, and implement systems that support these major programs. And so we're sitting here with these solutions, some dated, some newer, but uh, in the end, we've got a huge amount of data. And so now as, uh, as my partner and customer requirements increase for enterprise data, data analytics, just the whole data integration and access to data, the ability to link it across all of our programs so that we can start turning it into information. That's one of the, the most interesting and challenging areas that I'm working with right now. Um, talk a little bit about what will do that, but other areas uh, include um, what I'll call balancing or equalizing the level of IT investment. So um, I talked about our three program areas. They've all had varying levels of IT investment over the course of the last you know decade or two and so it working to help bring them all to the same level of infrastructure so that you know as you as you uh, implement efficiencies and capabilities you know one, one wave lifts all those boats but uh, that that's sometimes a challenge because um, like I say there's been different levels of investment different focuses and as we bring it more into the enterprise you know we're constantly looking at ways to leverage solutions that we put in place for one program in, in areas throughout the organization I think, uh, you know, we've, we do have some legacy technology, and so our ability to work and be agile to deliver to our, our customers' requirements, that's, uh, that's something that we're always working to increase. And, um, you know, the, when we look at the three programs, child welfare, public assistance, and substance abuse and mental health, they are definitely three different lines of business. And so we have multiple lines of business that we work with in IT, and, and that's sometimes, uh, you know, interesting and, and challenging to make sure what we're doing uh, is applicable and can help all those areas. I, I think as far as what we've been doing on the data integration side, uh, we've we've actually accomplished quite a bit in the last year and a half, I would say. First, we've been uh, able to put in place uh, the department's first um, master client index so that we're now linking clients across all of our systems, which gives us a foundation for uh, data analytics and all of the work now that's uh, that we're doing to be able to look across the programs and utilize that information in an integrated way to get some more for the department, support the department to get more insight into what services are, uh, how, how effective are the services and who are our clients and what kind of services are they getting. And so we're, we're ready to embark and, and leverage that environment uh, in the next six months uh, on creating a, kind of a big data virtualized environment where we'll begin to put all these sources together, link them with our client index, and set a set of analytical and uh, decision support tools above that so that we can provide our our customers with a picture of the whole organization. So that's that's one of the areas we've been able to advance. Uh, we've put we've put in place um, 
digital uh, digital communication, VoIP across the organization. We have a couple areas left. Uh, that's that's certainly uh, created efficiencies and cost savings. We've uh, we've moved our call centers to a standard set of technologies. So we we really try to focus on standard sets of technologies. So there's less cost, less work to support, less skills that we need to support it. Uh, we've put in place a number of contracts with SLAs. All of our vendors have SLAs, so you know our operational environment is key, and so making sure that's up and running and working in a standardized way with performance metrics, uh, we've, we've worked to put those in place. So those are the those are the big things we've been working on. Interesting, Joe. So what has surprised you most um, during your tenure at the Florida Department of Children and Families? Well, I think. Uh, if, if I would, in the time I've been there, I, I would always say the the commitment and the the focus of the staff that work in state government. They are connected to the mission of the department and the importance of what we do in support of the citizens of Florida. And I and I a year ago I I would say it that way, but in this last year, we had the interesting opportunity to work through the largest uh, DSNAP. Uh, emergency assistance program. DSNAP is, you know, what we now call food stamps. And so with the hurricane that went through Florida at the end of last year, towards the end of last year, we, we had to put in place a uh, emergency food stamp uh, delivery project where we went to 48 of our 67 counties. And over the course of two months, we had just tens of thousands of folks that we had to process. Our IT team had to basically build a remote office in, in, you know, many locations to process these folks and to have solutions available so that we could uh, get them benefits for those who had suffered during the storms. And I had the opportunity to work in a number of those areas because most of the folks traveled and uh, supported the activities for two months straight. And the level of commitment and really just the willingness of the staff across the organization to support something like that. It's the largest recovery, uh, DSNAP recovery project in the country's history. It was just, just unbelievable. So it, it, it confirmed to me what, what really surprised me most, and that is the, the folks who work there and their interest in serving the folks of Florida. Joe, could you tell us more about your career path? How did you get to where you are now? What, what brought you to your current leadership role? Sure. So I... I start the way a lot of IT folks start. I went to college, and uh, I actually am a uh, IT, you know, I have my IT degree from college. And so right after college, I started in software development, and uh, I, I've worked in a number of organizations uh, early in my career, maybe the first quarter of my career. That was really my passion with software development. Uh, I uh, started to move up the ranks in, in software development with leadership and uh, ultimately managing application teams, and that extended into managing the different disciplines in IT. Uh, I've, I've always had a uh, penchant for an interest in uh, real large IT projects, and so I've kind of focused my career on following big projects, particularly the first half of my career. And so I got a lot of good experience in different businesses. Uh, really, the first uh, three quarters of my time uh, working has been spent on the commercial side. So this, this, the job I'm in right now is my first government experience. Uh, and uh, at one point in my career, I thought, well, maybe there's an opportunity to use my skills a little differently. And uh, I went to work for a mission-based organization, and I 
saw that that was uh, a possibility, and ultimately I, I saw this interesting job in Florida that um, required a senior project director to implement a child welfare system. I thought, what a, what a great way to use my skills uh, and learn something. I came to Florida, and I did that, and uh, since then I've uh, worked my way up into the position that I've got today. So, Joe, what makes one an effective leader? And perhaps you could illustrate for me how you were such a leader. Well, I, th- I think, um, you know, I, you often hear f- folks talk about leadership and how leaders need to be models. And I, I believe that's true. But I think when, when you look at a layer low, below that, I think there's a set of traits and um, approaches that um, really effective leaders have to have to keep at the forefront of, of their of their work with people and I think one of them is from my perspective um, I think it's important for a, a leader to not only see themselves as a leader but also see themselves as a team member sometimes a resource on a project plan to deliver, sometimes as a coach or a mentor. I, I really think you you have to be ready and able to not just show up and tell people what to do, but also to roll up your sleeves and help them do it. I, th- I think being a leader is uh, a balancing act in, in many cases. You, you need to set expectations and ensure that your teams are operating with a sense of urgency, you know, really enable the things that uh, really, really put in place the things that enable success. But I also think you need to balance that with, you know, operating within your depth, right? There's a depth of understanding and knowledge that I have, and I need to be smart enough when I'm stepping out of that depth and look for the people who who work with me and for me to be able to bring, to be able to um, embolden that that understanding and, and leverage the resources that we that we have at our disposals as CIOs. I think um, I think you have to show passion. If I'm not passionate about what we do, how can I expect my staff to be passionate about it? Uh, I think you have to be consistent. Uh, CIOs and leaders, we we set the environment, and the environment leads from us. And so it's important for me to have an environment that my staff can work in and be effective in. And so, you know, you got to leverage the tools, I think, at your disposal that you can to help advance things and move things forward. You know, tools like proper structure, uh, making sure the right folks have the right responsibilities and those are clear and there's effective levels of communication and clarity in roles and responsibilities. Uh, I think change management is a wonderful tool that, you know, when leveraged correctly, can really help you move an organization forward. You know, there's, you can also do the opposite of that, too, and, you know, just wear people out with change. But, you know, I've, I've always thought a good leader has a easy, moderate, and hard change activity underway, and the, the goals of each of those should be to advance the state of the organization. Uh, I think you have to be very careful and avoid the traits that really impact teams and performance. Um, you know, things like um, blame and ego, right? There's al- always a time for, for all things, but in the end, if your goal is success, then you need to help people achieve that. And, and I think in the end, it really comes down to, well, in my, in my world, and we can talk technology all day and skills and all the tools and buzzwords that we have, but it's really got nothing to do with that. It's all about people. And if you're focused on what you need to do to help people achieve the most that they can, if you're looking at your management team and having the same expectations of them that you have uh, for yourself, 
Uh, those are the things that I think make an effective leader. What are the IT priorities for the Florida Department of Children and Families? We will ask its CIO, Joe Vistola, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. What are Defense Health Agency's strategies priorities? How is DHA working to create a more integrated health care system? What is DHA doing to improve the readiness and health of the military services? Join host Michael Keegan next week on the Business of Government Hour as he explores these questions and so much more with Vice Admiral Raquel Bono, Director, Defense Health Agency. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Joe Vistola, Chief Information Officer at the Florida Department of Children and Families. Joe, you mentioned earlier that uh, DCF has the largest operating budget of all Florida agencies at uh, over $3 billion, and the third largest staff at almost um, 12,000. Uh, the CIO role must be very important, keeping the organization connected and providing the tools uh, for employees to do their job. So so to that end, would you tell us more about your IT plan for DCF and perhaps you could outline your key IT priorities for us? What we try and do is uh, identify elements of strategy and activities that uh, we can really mold everything into. I've, I've always looked at strategy a little uh, from the perspective of uh, guiding us in everything we do. And so along those lines, my, my key goals are uh, include, in fact, customer service and communication. IT is working on, always working on, so many things that are important to our customers. They need to know where we're at. They need to know what's going on. We need to understand their goals. Full transparency and communication is, is key, I think, to working effectively in support of our customers. So uh, communication on the customer level, customer service, we need to be watching all of our interactions. What I, what I like to tell my staff is anytime we've got a touch point with a customer, we should be doing our best to gauge customer service at that point. So that's a key element of the strategy. I think operational, uh, actually operational and delivery excellence are uh, one of my key strategic goals. As a CIO, if your operation isn't running smoothly, uh, you really have no time to work on any other strategies because it's a constant uh, set of issues that your customers run into if their operational world is impacted more than seldom. And so my strategy includes focus on operational and delivery excellence. I think there's a level of agility that you need to operate in there. But uh, making sure that the environment is as available and as capable as possible for supporting all of those 12,000 workers is key. Part of the strategy includes um, something that we talked a little bit about already, and that's accessible and integrated enterprise data. So we got all this data 
as an IT organization, we need to be bringing in the technologies, identifying the technologies that can effectively integrate this information in the way our customers need it and help to bring those in, even if we do it a little bit at a time as we have funding and changes for our applications. I think um, that, that to me is how you achieve these some of these goals. You, you look at every opportunity, every change, and you figure out how you can advance each of your strategic goals, even if it's just a little bit. I think that's an important way to establish strategies, but but ours mine also incurs uh, maximized application and data voice environment. So I want to leverage the capabilities of our whole infrastructure as far as we can for all of our staff in all areas of the state, regardless of some of the limited capabilities that they may have for connectivity. Right? We have offices in some remote areas that don't necessarily have the level of connectivity and link to support services and, and IT. So, when the, so the whole infrastructure needs to support all of the organization. The uh, strategy includes what I like to call absolute alignment. We need to know what our business partners need and what, what their challenges are, and we need to constantly be questioning the work that we're doing to make sure that we're in absolute alignment with those requirements. And the strategy also includes really an expectation for rigorous performance management. So all of our vendors, all of our operations, uh, all need to be driven on a set of uh, standard service level agreements. All of our projects need to work within a you know, a, a model of project management that is understandable and standardized so our partners un, uh, are able to work from project to project and have a consistent front end as they work with our teams. And I, and I really think with those, those key elements, everything we do fits under that. And if we keep those five or six uh, strategic goals uh, really at the forefront of our thinking for everything we do, then um, we advance them every year, uh, a little bit at a time. As a follow-up, what are the key internal and external drivers and trends that shape and inform your IT strategy? Yeah, I think the just the whole need internally for integrated data and analytics, like we've talked about, that that's a key one. And, and uh, in addition to that, there's, uh, in, in the world of state government, right, we constantly have, we have to work in a way that allows us to respond quickly to what happens every day, right? Things can go awry when you're dealing with in some of the programs that we're dealing with. And so you have to be able to work in an agile way and be set up for that. I, th I think also, you know, the, there's new expectations on what we're doing with our systems and our data in state government, both from our legislature, from our uh, executive administration, and from the federal government. So uh, we, we receive funding from the state and from the feds and, you know, that funding comes with expectations and new requirements that we have to meet. Uh, I think an example of that, a good example, is uh, our child welfare system. So that was uh, effectively supported for us to put in place by, by state and federal funding or through state and federal funding. And uh, now the requirements for how we can leverage that environment are changing. They're actually becoming more flexible for how we can use that system. And so we have to challenge ourselves and adjust our strategy now to be able to respond to that and to be positioned to take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, I think externally, too, uh, as I mentioned before, DCF is really integrated and, and um, linked at the hips with a number of our providers who, you know, from the outside, 
it looks like contracts because they work under contracts, but the truth is in the areas where they work, they are a part of the team. They are our partner. We can't do our business without them. And so their needs and opportunities that they can take advantage of also have to inform our strategy. And and I think that's, of, of all of them, probably the, the one that's most important because uh, it is a part of our operational environment that they manage and that, and that uh, they move forward. Uh, Joe, as you know, it's it's important to be good stewards of the public funds and, and invest them wisely. Um, to that end, I'd like to explore the IT capital investment process that uh, DCF uses. Could you tell us how it works and how do you ensure that investment decisions are mission-aligned and, most of all, cost-justified? Well, the, the state has a, a rigorous planning process, and, and really what that is is it's a process that we go through each year to both define the initiatives and the, and the capital investments that we'd like to make in IT and justify those. And so we're, we're actually, it's a good time to be talking about it because we're now through our legislative session. We understand what our budget is for next year. And so what starts up at this point in the year is our planning for the priorities that as a department, uh, as a state agency, we would want to accomplish and, and what the requirements for IT systems or projects or investments would be. And then uh, for those things that make the cut with our senior management in the agency, we then submit those requests to the executive office of the governor and and to our legislature. And and we have to submit them if they're significant investments of a million dollars or more with a feasibility study, basically a cost-benefit analysis of why we need the funds, what are the funds being used for, what are the the different alternatives, what return on investment will you get, and then that process is what seeds the discussion around what are the most important priorities, again, for the agency, for state government, uh, at the executive office level as a whole, and then ultimately for the legislature. And we work very closely with the governor's office and the legislature to justify each and every purchase that we've considered to be a priority, and then they assess it against that feasibility study, the cost-benefit analysis and the expected return on investment. For those projects that get funded, every quarter then we have to report back in how we're doing on the return on investment that was planned, what have we accomplished, what returns have we received, you know, if they're if they're planned, did we, did we receive them based on the plan, or what, where are they going? So there's a there is a very rigorous process for us to justify and obtain the funding that we need, given the fact that these are precious dollars that come from Florida citizens, and uh, then to make sure that the results that we're generating are in, are in sync with what we uh, had communicated that they would accomplish. Joe, could you elaborate on your efforts to enhance IT governance within your department and established integrated governance across your department and providers. How does governance, more importantly, enable you to optimize resources? Yeah, so we've we've got um, actually a couple di- different levels of governance. Uh, first level, I like to call business level or customer level governance. So as I mentioned before, we've got our three key program areas, and so there are systems and staff and funding elements associated with each of those programs. So at the at the very base level for IT, we need to be doing what our customers in those 
program areas require. And so we have very uh, well-defined and, in many cases, standardized governance processes for each of those areas so that we're ensuring uh, our alignment and our focus on what they need. All of, all of our support activities, all of our work that we do enhancing business systems or enhancing our infrastructure, they are all directly tied to what those customers' priorities are. Uh, same goes for planning. So we, we just talked about uh, how we plan and how we justify some of the funds that we receive. So we're hooked with our, our program customers for the whole planning activity because ROI and return on benefits aren't just IT elements. They're also return on benefits and, and investments that they're making in the program. So all of the planning activities are hooked to governance at that level, at the business area level. Then what, uh, what we try to do then is bring that to a department level. And um, what we're finding now is, quite frankly, a lot of the expectations and goals for what we're for what our programs have for integrated data are creating a need for data governance across the organization. So it's been an interesting dynamic in that you know you, you work to put governance in place, but now it's our customers' uh, expectations and projects that are driving where we need governance. So we constantly look for areas where we can uh, share an understanding of what goals and priorities are, and then at the higher level, bring that to the senior management team to verify that we're operating against organizational requirements and give them a chance to comment on, uh, you know, what they think those priorities should be or adjust where appropriate. Uh, we have had examples where we've gone with uh, business-level priorities to the executive management team, and, you know, they've redirected us, and, and we've gotten some really you know, good opportunities and, and success that have come out of that. I, I mentioned before the work we're doing on matching all of our clients across all our systems. That was driven out of executive governance where it was an organizational requirement. As the business area requirements boiled up to executive governance, they decided to redirect uh, priorities to that. And as a result, we're now moving forward with millions of clients linked across systems. So I, I think it's it's fair to say that governance at the agency is really a process that management understands is important. You know, there's always an IT and more to do than we have resources and dollars to do it. That's just the dynamic of the environment. And so there's a good understanding in our agency of the importance of focusing on priorities. And and with the combination of those two governance levels at the business area and then ultimately at the organization, we're able to really drive our focus on what are the most important things to be doing. Joe, whether you're talking about federal agencies or, in your case, state agencies, there's a lot of talk about migrating um, infrastructure to the cloud. Uh, could you tell us more about your efforts migrating to the cloud? What has been your approach to using the cloud? And more importantly, what applications have you moved? Yeah, so we're uh, – actually, I'm, I'm, I'm real happy to talk about that. Back in December of last year, uh, we moved the first state government system in Florida to the cloud, and that was our child welfare system. So uh, in Florida, we have our agency of state technology. They are our data center. Uh, and about a year and a half ago, uh, the legislator, legislature 
uh, directed us to move our child welfare system to transform it uh, into uh, an environment that could be moved to the cloud and then to move it to the cloud. And we completed that in December. It was a good two years, year and a half's worth of work to, to get it to the point where it was ready. Uh, we were funded to be able to do that. And so now it's been running in the cloud for really for uh, four months. Uh, and if I look at the last three months of performance, it's running uh, at a uh, the capacity level that is, and performance level that is higher than it used to be. Uh, we reduced the costs, overall costs for infrastructure and managed services for running the system um, by almost half. Uh, and uh, my customers are telling me that the, the the performance of the system is significantly better. So as an example, in, in January of this year, when we looked at the stats, we saw that we had 43,000 more logons for the month, which basically meant, you know, there's no magic about January workload. It just showed us that there was a pent-up amount of work that wasn't getting done. And when the capacity and, and performance of the system uh, widened, then uh, that, that work was able to be done. So we've had some uh, significant success out of moving our application to the cloud. We also have uh, a number of smaller applications. Uh, one in, in one of our licensing divisions that's that runs in the cloud today, and we're in the process in our substance abuse and mental health uh, program of building a uh, cross-organization uh, financial and service tracking system that will also be hosted in the cloud. So there's a lot of attention in Florida and interest on uh, moving solutions to the cloud where it's appropriate and where it's where it's cost effective and uh, we're, we're pretty happy with the with the results that we've received so far um, the um, the changes that we're seeing I think you know again it's not just infrastructure as a service that you're that you're procuring it's also the managed services so our, our state agency for technology that that support our data center they don't just give us infrastructure they also manage that infrastructure so when we had to move our system to the cloud we had to put those pieces in place through contracts uh, we were able to do that and and so uh, yeah I'm, I'm sitting here with a, I think one of the first major state government systems to be running in the cloud and where performance is up and costs are down and, and Joe, I, I was remiss in not asking you this. As a follow-up, what are some of the key benefits and challenges uh, you faced migrating to the cloud, and, and how did you address those challenges? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question because I think, you know, like probably like a lot of folks, when we started down this path, my my definition of cloud was, you know, put it, put the system somewhere else. It's in the cloud. And, and when you really start looking at the cloud, you begin to realize that's not what it is. The cloud is on-demand services and on-demand capacity. And so the, the first challenge is to understand, are you really getting the benefits of whatever cloud provider and capabilities you're looking at? And is your application capable of taking advantage of that? So just by taking an application off one box and putting it on another don't doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get all the benefits. So the, the first challenge for us was making sure that our approach uh, and and the work we were doing in some cases to to rearchitect and upgrade the application our child welfare application that was moving we had to do it in a way that maximized the cloud's capabilities so things like disaster recovery as we used to know it 
that concept kind of goes away. You build in disaster recovery into the architecture for the cloud so that it's always available and it's architected to be across different um, data centers throughout the cloud. So it's almost immediately recoverable. I think the other, a lot of the things that we really were challenged with up front had nothing to do with the cloud per se. It really had to do with how do we get to the cloud providers and what are the what are the contract and procurement options that we have and you know as we spent a lot of time uh, it's kind of funny now but we spent a lot of time struggling over what should be the right SLAs that we should have for an infrastructure as a service provider but then learned that when you look at the the primary uh, cloud providers, their SLAs are online and you really don't get to negotiate around them. So those kinds of things around uh, what we were used to doing to provision services and establish them and get them set up, they, they, it was different looking at what we had to do with the cloud, in particular software licensing, right? You, we, we went from a data center into a cloud provider. Some licenses would move. Other licenses had to be ch- changed to a different type of license. Some licenses had to convert from, you know, an ownership model to a subscription model. That We spent a lot of time with all of the vendors on all of the software components that make up our application, making sure we had the right license or that the license that we had for our database environment on the mainframe after we migrated it to mid-range in advance of the cloud would transfer to mid-range. So those are the kind of things that we really uh, could have, we, we learned a lot from at the very beginning of this. In the end, we went into the cloud and it runs and it's, you know, pretty much what we're used to as far as applications run, with the exception of, uh, you know, some significant tools that you can get to 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 see how your application is running and maximize its performance and, you know, scale it the way you want. So, uh, yeah, up, up front, we had to really learn what cloud was, make sure that we were taking advantage of its capabilities and uh, put all of the pieces that made the application uh, transferable and runnable in the cloud from licenses to, uh, you know, our, our uh, recovery time requirements, uh, all those things had to be revisited. So it was a, it was a good learning experience. Uh, and I think one, I, I, I tell my staff all the time, I, as as CIO, I probably would have been happy if somebody had come in the beginning and just said, hey, you know, be quiet and read this one page of stuff of things you need to focus on because we had to learn what was on that one page. How is Florida's Department of Children and Families changing the way it does information technology? We will ask its CIO, Joe Vistola, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. 
Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Joe Vistola, Chief Information Officer at the Florida Department of Children and Families. Joe, today, rapidly evolving technology increases an organization's IT vulnerability footprint. Would you tell us more about your efforts to enhance IT security across the enterprise and institutionalize appropriate policies and risk-based solutions? Sure. I think, um, you know, what... We operate in an interesting world in state government in that we have significant oversight. So uh, we're, we're uh, our security environment and our operational security model are, uh, are, are watched and overseen by uh, audits that take place from the federal government and because we receive funding and data from them. So Social Security Administration, IRS, we have internal uh, audits of our security environment that take place in the agency. We have state-level audits that take place. So there's a, it's an important uh, topic and question for us because we're, you know, we are the stewards of some um, pretty important and sensitive information and systems. And so, uh, what we've been doing is uh, really looking at security from the two perspectives that you that you mentioned. One is the operational environment, and there uh, we've put in place. Uh, technologies that ensure data loss prevention. So uh, we want to control what's leaving our environment, not only from the network, from the client PC level. And so we've got solutions that help to identify and prevent that. Uh, We're in the process of uh, putting in place a security information and event infrastructure, a SIM tool-based infrastructure, these systems that we manage run on, in some cases, hundreds of servers that we need to monitor and watch and uh, make sure that every event is being validated for security issues. And so we're working today. In fact, that's uh, another example of something that we're moving into the cloud. So we're putting a SIM tool in place that will point to our most critical uh, application uh, and and the infrastructure to monitor and manage what what, uh, comes out of that tool. Uh, we're on our second phase of multi-factor authentication. So our our first phase uh, uh, we used as part of the uh, the multi-factor uh, a um, certificate on the client machine uh, that really didn't meet all of the audit requirements that we had. And so now we're putting in place a, a key fob and a, and a code. Uh, that it will go to all of our remote users so that we have uh, full and appropriate two-factor authentication for all access. We're integrating uh, our um, our credentials environment, our, our technical credentials management environment, and all of our solutions so that uh, we're focused on a, a, a where we can ultimately get to where we're focused on one environment for managing credentials that we can turn on and turn off and guarantee access or denial of access. Uh, we're, we're even looking at uh, a number of uh, solutions that will help us to uh, secure data as we start to expose it. So that's the operational side. On the other side, um, we, we do have requirements also uh, because of the, for the same reasons I mentioned before, to have a well-defined, uh, approved, published, and exercised uh, set of security policies in place. And that, that's not just 
you know, creating a set of policies and putting them on a website somewhere. That's uh, managing them. Uh, we have a requirement for a, uh, a C cert team to manage issues when they come up and review them and make sure that they get the focus and attention that they're supposed to get. Uh, we have to include all of our security requirements and training for staff. And so that whole body of work necessary to make sure that not only the infrastructure is secured, but that uh, people know that they have to play a part in security is also uh, something that we focus on regularly. And and then just lastly, uh, most recently now is you know, in state government, we share our data with a lot of agencies and external research organization firms. And so in, in the past, it was easy. You give them a file, you tell them to protect the file. Now we have to look at where's that data going once it leaves our department. Do they have the controls we require on that? So we're even looking at security requirements for data sharing agreements and contracts moving forward. Joe, what are you doing to spur innovation across the department? Um, And more importantly, how are you changing the way information technology is done within DCF? So the results we've been receiving from from turning this on and exercising Agile have been significant. First of all, uh, what we're finding is oftentimes what we're planning to get done within a set of sprints gets done in a shorter time frame, and we are sitting there uh, having to decide what what additional functions we add in to finish the sprints out. So there's more work coming out the end of every release that, that we're planning. Secondly, what we're finding is that the quality of the product at the end is uh, significantly better. And what I mean by quality, I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about the quality of the software and the testing, although that, that is positively impact, is the quality of alignment of the function with the expectations of our users. So we often found ourselves in the waterfall methodology of being six months down the line, getting ready to implement function, and realizing that the requirements we captured six months before weren't complete or didn't take into account this element or that element. And the move to Agile has completely eliminated that. So not only are we seeing alignment with the requirements, but we're also, as a result of the process where we've got subject matter experts and our customers involved, seeing the application unfold over the sprints, and over time as we deliver function, they're well aware of what's coming. They've already prepared, if it's a large set of changes, staff to be ready for it. They understand it. And so we've, we've really received tremendous benefit from, from moving to, a, to an agile approach. What does the future hold for IT at the Florida Department of Children and Families? We will ask its CIO, Joe Vistola, when the conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. What are Defense Health Agency's strategies priorities? How is DHA working to create a more integrated healthcare system? What is DHA doing to improve the readiness and health of the military services? Join host Michael Keegan next week on the Business of Government Hour as he explores these questions and so much more with Vice Admiral Raquel Bono, Director, Defense Health Agency. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology. 
It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Joe Vistola, Chief Information Officer at the Florida Department of Children and Families. Joe, given the critical role information technology plays in mission and program delivery, I'm interested to know, from your perspective, how has the role of the CIO evolved into that of a trusted advisor? And more importantly, what are the characteristics of a successful CIO? Well, I think uh, similar to what we talked about before, uh, CIO, successful CIOs have their operational world in order and running. You, you can't move past that if you don't. And so uh, a successful and effective CIO has their, has their world operating in the manner that supports their customers. Once you get past that, I think what, what my customers are looking for now, and I, I think Probably uh, what what a lot of CIOs are are working to uh, really to achieve is really serving in some ways as an advocate for our customers. We have to help them accomplish their goals, and that's not just necessarily delivering systems. It's helping them in the planning process. It's helping them to formulate their strategies and how IT is in there. And we need to get our staffs in there to help them accomplish their business goals uh, and leverage technology at the same time. I think uh, effective CIOs have to have a good sense of the alignment of their systems and infrastructure, what what their systems and infrastructure do to support their customers, because if you don't have a good sense of what's what the challenges are along those lines are and what the customer goals are, you don't really know what you which knobs you can turn to help them achieve those goals. So uh, good CIOs know their environment, and I think effective CIOs are able to help um, move that environment either in small or large ways to help customers uh, achieve the requirements that, that they have. I think overall, I, I kind of look at being CIO as uh, kind of a person doing a puzzle. So your end goal is to have the whole puzzle done, but are you able and effective piece by piece, right? Sometimes it's easy to build a set of pieces together because it's obvious in the puzzle. Other times, you know, you're looking for that one edge or that one corner. And everything that we do, I think, in state government in particular, I I think CIOs and, and I have to look at it as a series of building blocks, how do you achieve your strategy? How do you achieve the customer goals? How do you help them move in the areas that they want to move in? How do you align your services? You have to look at each and everything you're doing and see how it fits into that overall picture and where you can use some initiative, some project, some planning activity, whatever elements you can pick and choose from to add another piece or another building block to that puzzle, that's what helps you to accomplish their goals. Because it, it would be nice if it was easy enough to just say, hey, what do you want to do? Okay, let's go do it. Let's go get the funds. It's, n- nothing is ever that easy. And so helping them accomplish their goals, even piece by piece, and, and show value while you're doing it, I think if you accomplish that, then, then you're a, really a, an effective CIO. Joe, turning to the future, what would you like to achieve in the next couple of years? Yeah, I think I'd, I'd like to um, really crack the code for 
enterprise data and deliver to the organization an ability to not just integrate and link data across the enterprise, but really start turning it into the information that the organization needs to operate as an agile organization and respond to the services and expectations that we have as a state agency. We have piles of data, and we now need to turn really turn those piles into key uh, elements of information that the organization needs. And so if I can help to put that infrastructure in place and the, the processes that support that, I, I think that'll help the organization move forward. We certainly have uh, some opportunities to leverage uh, mobile technology moving forward. It's, it's interesting at uh, in our organization um, because a lot of the information we capture in some cases is unstructured data. So if you think of a child protective investigator or an, an adult protective investigator going out on an abuse call, you know, the, most of the data that they capture is text-based information. They're explaining what's the situation in the home, what's happening. And so really, uh, it gives us a challenge for how we can use mobile technologies because you, you can't really type that much on a phone. So I think we've got uh, opportunities, though, in the future to see how mobile can support uh, our, our workers uh, a little bit more effectively. I think we need to get to a point where all of our systems, we can move forward in an agile way in alignment with our customers' requirements where they work uh, in an agile way for each of their program areas. And and for the, the components of our systems and infrastructure that can't, we need to really focus on how we can move them to that point. Joe, what advice would you give someone who is considering a career in public service? Well, I would say if you're coming into public service and you have experience, then be ready to uh, not only deliver value with the experience that you bring, but to learn. Um, I often tell folks who come to work for me in, in senior roles, you know, you've got a, a good year before you see all of the elements just for planning, for example. We've talked about planning and that whole life cycle. That's a that's an important and critical part of what we do, particularly in IT. So, you know, the, the old adage of, um, you know, government workers and everything, quite frankly, there is a body of knowledge and experience that you need to have to be effective uh, in government, in, in state government, I would imagine in federal government too, just like you would in the commercial world. So come to a uh, government role with the understanding that you can leverage the skills that you, you bring and that you need to map that like you would anywhere with learning. I think, too, you really should have a interest in wanting to serve. So in the end, we serve the citizens of Florida. It's their taxes that pay our salaries. And so you really need to have a, uh, you know, a, an understanding and a willingness to accept that as that's kind of the reason we're here. And I, I think, too, if you get into state government, if you're not necessarily experienced, it is a good place to gain experience because... These are, as we talked about, these are significant corporations, if you want to think of it that way. This is a $3 billion organization that I work in at DCF with all of the same challenges and opportunities. And the folks that come in, like anywhere, if they're focused and committed, the the opportunities are there to learn, and those uh, that, that learning is applicable regardless of where you go. Joe, thanks again for joining us today and taking time out of your busy schedule to share your story and your insights. 
Well, it's my pleasure, and it's been great talking to you. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Joe Vistola, Chief Information Officer at the Florida Department of Children and Families. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.